0: Hey, everybody, how are you doing out there? My name is Kevin Ford. I am the coordinator for the city of Kalamazoo's Share Prosperity Kalamazoo Initiative. And welcome to the Share Prosperity Kalamazoo podcast. This is episode eight, collaboration, poverty, and prosperity. And it's an awesome show. Awesome guests we got on the show today. I'm normally joined by co-host of Magnificent Melody Dakin, but uh, for some reason, she's chosen to go on vacation. I believe Mexico, um, instead of being on a show with us today. So, you know, just when you think you know a person, um, they go off to Mexico. Uh, So I hope she's having a great time there. She'll be joining us for our next episode. hope she has safe travels. We're going to jump right into it today, because like I said, we got an awesome show and phenomenal guests, and I really want... Listeners to hear them uh, share what they have going on. So first, we have Nicole Bloom, the development manager for the YWCA in Kalamazoo. We have executive directors for Southwest Child Care Resources, April Goodwin, and Michael. <coughs> excuse me, Michael Evans from the Kalamazoo Literacy Council. Right, and so all of him all of them are doing great work in their organizations, but the reason that they're here today is to talk about one thing in particular. So in order to reduce poverty and advance prosperity, there's one thing that's needed above all else. You can have all the money. You can have the greatest experts. You can have a complete buy-in, everything at the table, but without this one thing, nothing else will work. What's that one thing? Collaboration. Right, right now in Glasgow, Scotland, the COP twenty-six uh, summit is, is taking place. Leaders from all over the world are discussing climate change. Right, they know one nation, no one effort, uh, is going to be able to address climate change. They're going to have to collaborate and work together in terms of addressing that large issue. The folks we got on the show today are collaborating to address issues in our community as well. And again no matter if it's a global summit or it's a city like Kalamazoo or anywhere else in the nation, whatever change efforts are happening, you're gonna have to have some collaboration because no one person, no one organization or no one effort um, can do it alone. And so it's something that I think folks know and understand, but in practice, it it turns out a lot different um, oftentimes. And more than likely, the folks we say we're trying to help don't don't get the full benefits of that. So we want to talk about collaboration today and how it relates to reducing poverty, um, advancing prosperity, helping working families, and we want to learn about some other elements that go into good collaboration, effective effective collaboration. And so, with that, our guests are going to um, help us out. And work on that, tell us about the project that they got going on, and some of those elements that serve in strengthening their collaborative efforts, right? But first, as we always do, we understand here in the podcast that um, systems thinking, we students of systems thinking, champions of systems thinking, understand that nothing happens in a vacuum. There are a lot of elements that go into an individual arriving at this point and doing the work that they do. So we wanna start the show off by asking each of you that question, like what drew you to the work that you're doing right now? We'll start with anyone who wants to speak.
1: (laughs) They're both looking at me. Okay. Yeah, so I can go ahead and speak. So um, what drew me to this work, You know, I started off working in for-profit childcare centers um, Directing that work, and um, I was tired of having to fight for quality and having to explain why it was important in early childhood education. And I found myself at the YWCA under um, Dr. Grace Labuama because I didn't. I knew I didn't have to fight for it there. I knew it was we wanted to raise the bar, wanted to raise the excellence. But when I got there, what I also found was there was an entire layer that also needed to be talked about that wasn't being talked about in any other place I've ever been in. And that is implementing high quality at the intersection of education and equity. So how are we doing high quality for kiddos and families that typically don't have access to it because of systemic barriers? And that just, just opened my eyes to so many things. And so I've been there for about seven years, just continuing to dig deeper into that work.
0: All right. Thanks, Nicole.
2: Wow, Nicole really said it right there. Um, I think I started off um, coming in from um, Head Start and working with the young families there. And then when coming, going over to Child Care Resources, I was able to really get into that high quality and, and dig in, get those, find the layers and the barriers that were preventing some of the high quality happening but also how we could help help our families be able to find high quality child care um, and then our child care providers to be able to reach those levels so um, getting involved in it just has really opened my eyes to some of the issues that are happening in child care
0: okay thanks april what about you michael well,
3: the work that I got into with the Kalamazoo Literacy Council, um, there was lots of work that preceded that. I've always wanted to work in the community. I've worked with many n- different wonderful nonprofits across southwest Michigan. But what attracted me to Kalamazoo and the Kalamazoo Literacy Council specifically was the idea of actually having a permanent solution instead of an ongoing challenge that you never see the end of. And literacy and learning, but especially literacy, is one of those things that is a permanent solution. Once you teach someone how to read, they keep it forever. You can fall in and out of poverty, in and out of employment, in and out of health, but you do not fall out of literacy. And connected to learning, if that is a fundamental basis where everyone has that capability, they have the capability to pursue their own goals, find their own learning journey that leads them to better employment, better stabilization in the household and lifting out of poverty by having something that's essential for all of us. So I figured if we're working with something that we can solve And it's a permanent solution, not just for the one we serve, but their entire family. That's something to dedicate a substantial portion of my life to, a permanent solution where literacy is connected to everything, especially this early childhood education journey. So 11 years I've been doing it, loving every day of it, even on the most difficult ones.
0: Well, thanks for that. I never thought about it like that, a permanent solution. I also want to send a shout out to the um, folks that work with young children, um, Nicole and April, since you all are here. But that whole entire field, I got kids, and uh, it's days I want to you know, ship them off. So it I, I definitely don't have the fortitude to, to work with young kids on a regular basis. um, And so, yeah, shout out to, to folks that work with young children, the youngest ones all the way up to the the high schoolers. I mean, that's, it's, it's rewarding. I've heard from everyone, every single person that's that's done it, but it's it could be highly taxing, and it's definitely not as appreciated as it should be by our society. I don't think. So yeah, shout out to to all those souls that that are doing that now and that are looking to jump into it. Um, yeah, I don't know if they know what they're getting into, but well, God bless them.
1: Well, hopefully, part of what we're trying to figure out is how do we make it more appealing. You know, I think part of my work being a director, it was so challenging that I think what I'm planning on dedicating the rest of my life to is to make it less challenging for directors, less challenging to be in an early childhood classroom so you can do the good work. It, It shouldn't be stressful. And especially for teachers working with families that are stressed, having that stress plus the stress and the learning environment, it doesn't equate to you know, great outcomes. And so we want to be your stress reducers and hopefully make it something that more people want to be involved in because it is so rewarding.
0: Right.
2: Right. And I see, you know, one of the to, to kind of piggyback off part of my thing is I want people to see childcare as a profession for, you know, that not to be babysitters because that's what everybody want to look at childcare is, you know, I'm getting a babysitter, but no, it is a profession. This profession, You know, and that's what we try to do is give them the training, the the resources so that they can have, know how to budget, they know how to hire. Um, Those are things you do in any profession, you know. So we're not just out here being babysitters, you know. We are actually, um, we have have degrees, we have um, certificates. I mean, you know, so we're, you know, it's just not us sitting at home Eating bonbons and watching kids. There is more to um, the childcare profession.
0: Right, yeah. right, no doubt about that. They still sell bonbons, by the way. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. I know, I don't know that thing. I might have. I might have dated myself. I don't there. know. Uh, <laughs> any any young listeners, Google. I know um, we had another guest on here, and we we were talking about some some way back stuff, and and we were dropping Google's. You know, you got to Google that. Uh, I know. I know.
2: Last night. Um, I said um, to my granddaughter, "You acting like Urkel," and she said, "Who's Urkel?" Oh boy, right. <laughs> and I could <laughs> better I right. like, acting like Ur- Urkel than ah, looking like Urkel. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, it didn't matter. She was like, "Who's Urkel?" <laughs> yeah, it's is mind
0: blowing when you when you when you think about it. Yeah. We went to the. This is a side note, but we went to the, the Gilmore Car Museum. My family and I. Uh, It's a Camaro car show out there. My 13-year-old daughter likes Camaros, Chevy Camaros for some reason. So we out there, we we looking around. We walk around the Gilmore Car Museum. They got like a a 50s era section. It's got like a set-up, made-up diner, jukebox next to it. My wife calls me over. Uh, Sound somewhat panicked. I get over there. She says, she tells my daughter, um, tell your father what you just said. And she's looking at the jukebox. She's like, what is this? Oh, yes. boy. Yeah. <laughs> I right. said, what? And it just, it, yeah, it took me a minute to process. Yeah,
2: yes, yeah. yes. But I'm like,
0: okay, okay, teachable moment
2: here. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so that's kind of like, what I felt. And yeah. I said, so when your daddy come home, you ask him, too. Yeah. Her Yeah. <laughs> put him on the spot. So I'm like,
0: yeah, it's so a jukebox. We would put money in, and yeah. you could press <laughs> the music. It could be, you know, whatever she listening to, King Von or some other Rapper that they got, but <laughs> yeah, it is just mind blowing. It is okay. So, child care. We had um, p- on the previous show Tim Bartik from Upjohn Institute, uh, champion of early childhood child care um, education, and uh, Kristen Kristen Buell Lepisto from K- uh, Kalamazoo County Ready Force, talking about um, early child care and its impact on workforce development, like the importance of it, of, of having it and supporting families uh, who wanna work. And so, wanna touch on that a, a little bit in terms of um, you all's experience in, in that realm and, and how, how might we go about strengthening that um, and even uh, in, in terms of what Michael understands from his work, how we might go about strengthening that to support families. Um, who want to work and get access to good jobs?
1: Well, in order to be able to create opportunities for families to be in the workforce, you have to have a workforce. You have to have an effective workforce that can work with the children while their parents are out working. And I think that's what this collaboration and this work that we're doing has been all about is right now there is not a workforce um, that meets what the system is saying is quality. Um, and so we have, for the YWCA right now, You know, our directors are in classrooms. Our senior director was in the infant room the other day. How is all of the operational things supposed to happen when we have administrative having to step into those spaces? And so that's not just unique to the YWCA, I think that's probably a nationwide problem. And um, that's what this collaboration is all about is how do we change what is designated as a quality individual worthy of working with children. How do we change the narrative around that so that we can increase the amount of people who can see themselves in that space? Um, Folks that know the neighborhood, know the children that we're working with. Um, That's what this is about.
3: The thing that gets me most excited about that conversation is listening and responding very intentionally to what you said. There's not a workforce. And I said, yes, there is. You just didn't develop it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talent development doesn't start with someone who's graduated with certification or graduated from college. It starts with looking at your community and seeing who's worthy of being developed to be able to make a career in this pathway. And when you look at the people who are already here, people who may not have that credential yet, but do have the aptitude and do have the passion to be able to work with our, we call them little scholars, um, they're, they're, they're more than what you would see as a traditional candidate. So I'm excited that in our Edison, education, our Edison early childhood education um, career pathway that it's inclusive of those who have not yet been developed. They don't have their GED yet. They may be in a different job, but they want a chance to be able to have a sustainable wage doing some very important work. And that workforce that we're lacking, it's here if we work as a community to develop them at the neighborhood level. So our our collaboration is, is very unique, and that's who we're looking for as our prime candidate. You may not feel in demand but you are, yeah, we just want to work with uh, those who are here to develop them to be able to join the workforce that this region, this neighborhood needs
2: and well and you know and now, just kind of um continue on with that, but on a side note, you know we've got a lot of these families who have stopped and pulled their children out of child care because they 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 don't know what's out there they don't know what's safe and so they're they're not work they're not going to work moms are quitting jobs and staying home mm-hmm. to watch their kids um and so you know they're saying that all my check or half of my check goes to child care and you know but so you stop working yeah, you know and so now you have no yeah no income you know but one of the things that I know with within the Edison and within this is even looking for if you decide you're going to stay home maybe you can become your own child care and that way you can watch um other children in the neighborhood or around you and therefore now you you developing that income and you also maybe um able to gain your own education change education um even um provide someone else with some um Show them what else is out there to become. That Just because you're at home doesn't mean you have to become just a just mom at home. There is there's a profession, once again, in being a home provider. Yeah. You
0: know, as I listen to you all speak, in the community development field, there's a, a strain of thought and practice known as asset-based community development. Yep. And it essentially, the, the traditional model, for lack of a better term, looks at at mm, like weaknesses and deficits and then tries to apply and fill gaps but asset based community development kind of flips that around and looks at the strengths and the assets within a community that already exist and try to you know enhance those amplify pull out and it's not, listening to you all it's, it it's reminiscent of that asset based community development i'm interested to know if that's been and intentional if that was thought about in that mindset when you all came together or was that just a byproduct of you know great stuff you all been thinking about
1: the the whole conversation started um, with this because we recognized that we needed to develop a bigger workforce to do our work and what what I, we were also recognizing is that this work is really hard, that the, doing high quality early childhood and working with families that are in crisis and experiencing these systemic barriers is challenging. Um, and so we needed a workforce that was going to be here for it. You know, not, you know, I've had interns come in and whatnot before, like, this is not what. I learned in school this is not what I thought it was you know their eyes are this big and I'm like no we need people that see what's going on and can relate to what's going on and so um, we knew that connection to the neighborhood passion and commitment to the population that we were working to serve was gonna be the most important thing and it just made sense that that would start in the neighborhood
2: I know when I um At one time um, in my years of working, um, I was an alternative um, principal. And so we used to have volunteers that would come in and teach the the young people because they wanted to be there. And then they stopped letting them come in, and we had to have um, our professional certified teachers. It was a whole different system, and you didn't see the passion because they were just they were there 'cause they and they didn't understand the students. And it's the same thing as we come down into our workforce. We want people in here who understand the system. They understand the children. They understand the what childcare is, um versus just this is just something I went to school for and I don't understand because in our colleges we don't we're not even teaching a whole lot of early childhood education um within within the field. So therefore, when they come in to deal with our zero to five, our zero to three, it's a whole different, um, as you were just saying, your interns, it's a whole different um, thought pattern. It's a whole different field. They don't understand exactly, oh, wait a minute, this is not what I came in to do. So um, we, we need to, as we look at the workforce, we need to look at for those who understand what early childhood really is all about.
3: What you're really describing is experience. Yeah. And the ones that we're looking for, I work in adult ed, and we have people who have decades of experience in dealing with families because they are those families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They know these children. Um, when We look at early childhood education, it's not always starting at preschool, it's starting with Mama Josie who knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And because they know everyone, they know how to relate to those children, they know how to understand and make sure that they feel safe and understood but they're not because of the lack of a credential or because of a lack of opportunity to higher education that's more direct. They're not seen as the most qualified candidate because they lack that experience. What we're looking to do is evaluate the experience that they already have by who they are. If you live in the neighborhood, you know it better than those who don't. If you have a family that's in this neighborhood, you know these families more than others um, who do not. And if you've been through something, a life experience that looks a certain way. You can relate instead of being shocked by the conditions and outraged Mm -hmm. by the conditions. You've lived them. You know how to persist. So who would you rather want taking care of your little one, your little scholar at home, someone who understands your children or someone who understands exclusively by itself the credential? Now, we want the credentials too. Quality has to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. But why Mm -hmm. can't we shortcut the marriage between what I know and who I am and what I need to do it well together and make it so much more easier to make that pathway uh, more sustainable. That's what our whole process is about, is connecting people who have that type of experience and lifting that experience up where it makes it so that you are much more competitive as a professional and you're gonna be in this field a lot more longer because it's not new to you. It's just part of what you have as far as your lived in experience.
0: It sounds like it's, it sounds like y'all are trying to strike a balance and I know Nicole had mentioned change in narrative. Yeah. Um and I'd I'd also be interested to know if that was an intentional part of of you all coming together and, and planning this is like changing the narrative or is that again that just a byproduct of like your chemistry but that narrative piece of the traditional qualifications and, and candidates who are a good fit, quote unquote. And it's, it's, that's like one end of the extreme, right? The other end of the extreme is, yeah, we can reach out and get people from the neighborhood, but then not connect them with any credentials, et cetera, um, which are transferable, which they can have, no one can take away. You can, uh, it can open up doors and opportunities. Um, so, it's, yeah, hearing you all, it sounds like you're trying to not only bring a balance but also change the narrative in the sense of that lived experience equal to the traditional credentials or certifications or you know college degrees. I know our society places a high premium on the the college educated but again, there's a lot of college educated fools mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. they working in in our communities, and we're not seeing seeing the changes or ha- or seeing the impacts that that the families need. So yeah, listening to you all, it sounds like it's that that balance and that that change of narrative. That yes, this lived experience, this decades, this this on the ground knowledge is equal to, um, you know, those credentials, um, while trying to connect people as well
1: yeah exactly, and I think um it it was intentional because part of the reason why this collaboration works is because our mindset is on the same track. you know we're out here trying to do the same things in different ways, and so the mission of the y w c is to eliminate racism and empower women, so what's the mission here to eliminate racism and empower women
0: man yeah, so let that sit sit for a minute yeah. oh, that's great
1: so everything <laughs> that all the work that comes out of the YWCA is always going to be centered around that mission. And so um, that aligns with the work that's happening to the Literacy Council, that's happening at Childcare Resources. So it was, an, it's a, it was intentional because it's in our DNA, but it's a byproduct because that's the work that we're doing.
3: Well, it's uh, a a different narrative that I'm thinking about. Yes, we want to change the narrative of what, um, who can and who should be sought after as an early learning professional. Yes, that's true. But this is a neighborhood-based program. I live in the Edison neighborhood. The narrative of the Edison neighborhood could be so much better if we were to value what is there in a different way. If you look on the news, that's not what you hear about. That's not what you see, and that's not what you perceive that our neighborhood really is. Now What I would love to be able to see is that there's collective resources and time and energy in changing the narrative so that it's not just about recruiting early learning professionals into the neighborhood, it's what happens to the neighborhood as a result. So living in the Edison neighborhood and seeing this new uh, Edison Children's Center come up that was new. I didn't. We were not connected. Um, the literacy council and YWCA. When this building came up, I first knew that that was something that was profound. An investment of that size, of that visibility, literally changed the skyline of our
0: neighborhood. And you're talking about the Creamery Project. Yes. Yes.
3: I didn't know what it was. And then when I found out what it was, I said, Oh, this is going to change everything. You have a quality childcare center right in the Edison neighborhood. And it's run by an organization that has a message that is so clearly based on helping people to remove barriers. And then you have the, the invitation to invite people who are those non-traditional candidates to be your first workers at that site. So it's so, changes yeah. a totally different narrative.
0: So, so the Creamery Project, for those unaware, is a, a development, is a mixed-use development project. So the y, YWCA is, is housed there, I think, on the first floor, right?
1: Uh, we have a first floor and a mezzanine on the south side of the building.
0: Okay. And it's some other folks there. And then above that is housing, affordable housing units. And one of... The innovations, as Michael stated, the YWCA locally already engages in, in child care. This is a 24-hour child care center. The first of its kind, I think, in, definitely in the city, right?
1: Yeah, we're 24-hour we're comprehensive. So we have zero to traditional zero-to-three programming for infants and toddlers. And then in addition to that, we have 24-hour drop-in child care as well as second and third shift child care and the comprehensive comprehensiveness of that makes it the first of its kind in the state
0: in the state in the entire state of Michigan and part of that in terms of building capacity as Michael said reaching out to folks is it this creamery project is in the na- in the Edison neighborhood in Kalamazoo Kalamazoo the city proper has roughly 20 plus neighborhoods and so um, the Edison neighborhood, East Side neighborhood, and North Side neighborhood are the the core neighborhoods related to uh, shared prosperity, Kalamazoo. They also are the neighborhoods in our city that had the highest amount of, of concentrated poverty. And so, when we, when you all talking about you know reaching folks in the neighborhood, like this is the type of demographic we're talking about. And so. Again, the, the potential impact—not just immediately on families, um, but ripples out in terms of narrative change, in terms of community change, right—that people can see, people can ac- access, you know, actually touch It's just is is crazy. It's it's great to see it, but it's, it's just crazy to to imagine it. It's like why did it take so long for that?
3: Well, I'm glad that it happened, and the the successes that that I'd like to see are no longer aspirational. You can live in the neighborhood and get a living wage job doing work that supports the learning of our little scholars in our community. And what does that mean for the person who may be making a shift from a lower wage job to something like this? Not only do you not have to drive it all the time and spend up all your gas money all the time, you get a chance to get paid and supported where you're at, at uh, an employer that really is investing in you early. So you're lifting up many generations, not just the one person who's being hired. They're helping the next generation with quality early childhood education. But as those people who are the professionals, they themselves are helping themselves and lifting their own families up as well. To me, that's just that's just wonderful. You don't it's, have to leave right. your neighborhood to be able to do this type of
0: work. It's a multiplier effect. And they help other families yes. at, in, in terms of care and helping other families in terms of, of, of peer examples, right? So folks can have access to them and, and learn how um, they can, they can uh, uh, access these resources as well. So it's a it's it's certainly a positive multiplier effect. Um, And it
3: multiplies outside of just one site. There are mm -hmm. other home-based providers, community-based organizations that are following the same model, committing to hiring early learning professionals at a living wage, committing to looking at early learning professionals that that do not fit the non the traditional model of who you would expect to hire and working together to expand capacity and make such a career pathway sustainable. So it doesn't go away. It's not dependent on some specialized grant or some specialized circumstances. This is infrastructure that needs to be there. And we're all committed to working together to make sure that it's here for the long term.
0: Speaking of that, let's actually get into we we've been like piecing together the the thing the entire time. But what is the actual project, and what's, what's the purpose of it?
1: Who wants to go first? <laughs> go ahead, Michael.
3: Well, the Edison Early Childhood Education Career Pathway is a collaborative approach to making sure that we are creating a pathway to employment as early learning professionals for individuals in our community central to that approach is making sure that while they're recruited into this pathway, they secure the necessary credentials to deliver quality services. So that's the CDA, that's the apprenticeship that um, Child Care Resources guides them to to make sure that they have that quality um, certification, but also wraparound services to make sure that they have enough support to persist in that pathway.
0: What's the CDA?
2: Child Development Associates Associate. Associative, associate. I was going to get that word out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it, it is a, um, a nationwide um, certificate that offers, that builds um, our child care providers, um, gives them the resources, gives them understanding of what child care is all about, um, um, jumps into some other um, strategic um, trying to figure out exactly the right word we, but we get in there we build them up to learn how the different ways to become a professional in the childcare um realm so yes we start that off but what we've done is that is a national That comes out of Washington, D.C. That's a national um, certificate. So we're able to offer that and train that. What we did as a child care um, resources is we went beyond that. um, Within Kalamazoo, there was a group of us here in Kalamazoo who decided that we wanted to make this career pathway. And so we, um, child care resources, um, we went and um, went to the Department of Labor, and we were able to secure an apprenticeship, which is the only first one in the state of Michigan, and basically in the um, country where we have multi-counties um, multi and multi-employers um, that can work together to build this, um, this apprenticeship so that they can even get more hours, learn more about what's going on, find, get deeper into that and what the early childhood education looks like. And then from there, we decided that, okay, we've got you... We've got your CDA, which is, uh, if anybody was looking at it, would be like a CNA mm-hmm. in the nursing field. So we've got your associate. Then you go through the apprenticeship, which is just giving you more hours, developing you more. Um, so our step was we need to go one more step. So we went one more step and went to the college. We're at Kell- Kellogg's Community College, and we're also at Southwest um, Michigan College, where they will offer anyone who goes through this program nine credits towards their um, early childhood associate degree. So through this, we wanted to make sure we could support them through the program. We um, have a cohort where we only we keep it a small number, and we work with different child care providers from different organizations and get them through the C, their CDA. We also um, try to get it so that it's free for them to do this. We also get them involved in TEACH, which is another scholarship that can offer to pay for their CDA test um, through the apprenticeship. That also gets you into your early childhood childhood associate degree at the community college level.
1: I think the the CDA, too, is even more, I mean, I don't know a lot about the CNA, so I shouldn't say that, but it's powerful in that in the early childhood sector, you can run a childcare center with your CNA yes. I mean, you can be the head honcho, you know, with, for licensing standards. And I mean, that takes you from making, you know, 10, $12 an hour, mm-hmm. in my experience, to $20 an hour, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, that's something. It is. And that's really powerful. So I think... You know, I don't anticipate the standards changing around that. It's been like that for a long time. You have to have a certain amount of experience plus your CDA, so you can't just have your CDA to do that. But um, people could open up their own child care centers with their CDA. CDA. And that's part of addressing the workforce issue as well is we we can't just have the child care centers that we have right now and meet the – demand for childcare. we need more people to explore entrepreneurship to open up in homes to who knows make up some other version of what childcare can be um, and we believe that the answers to all of that live inside one of these neighborhood residents brains you know and we just need to create space for them to think this through and experience and grow
2: it offers them that path gives them some direction Pathway. whereas yes the yeah. path Whereas you know someone come in and they start and they get their CDA and they are they start in their CDA and they stop through this program we are able to offer them that support come on back what are you doing did you drop this off we call them up where you been um, in all of our cohorts at the at CCR but even with the Edison we are there to help support them through get them through the apprenticeship which. You know, it's just like becoming a journeyman. You're getting those extra hours, which helps you to um, gain more experience, get that workforce. So when you go out, we like to say is when you go into another place, you're showing your CDA. Someone else coming in their CDA. But you're also showing an apprenticeship certificate, which is another national through the Department of Labor. So you've got double certificates on top of just this one. And then hopefully we can push you even to the next level um, into that um, associate degree, which is going to once again gain you more um, employment, give you some more different options in the early childhood. You know, you can go into the Great Start um, Readiness Program, go into Head Start, and you can start working as... Um, your associate t- teacher, you can, like you said, become the, your own um, child care director, open your own business, which once again brings on that, um, gives you that, that opportunity to the growth. Right. So that, the
0: pathways, options, um, increase access to, to different resources that, that could support a family, all great things. You touched... Nicole, on the entrepreneurial piece, would love to hear more about that and how you all are, are looking to, to build that out because I, I don't think the training aspect, I think most people would recognize that and say, okay, that makes sense. The entrepreneurial piece, especially in terms of, of talent pipeline and reaching into the neighborhood at to to be entrepreneurs within this space, I think that may take some some folks back, so could you all expand on that and, and kind of flesh that out? Yeah, um, but I think
3: it goes back a couple more steps. Everything that's been described, uh, obtaining the CDA, um, completing the apprenticeship and moving forward, requires persistence and resilience, which requires a lot of support. So our pathway is not exclusive to what you need to get the CDA. It's inclusive of what do you need to prepare yourself for your future whether it's an entrepreneur running your home-based program or working at the child care center at the ywca or any other place goodwill industries or um, others so we have organizations that are providing wraparound support from the beginning that says we're going to look at what you need to be able to make your way along that journey and it may not end in one of our organizations as an employer it may end with you as an entrepreneur helping to fill up that space. But the wraparound support, um, there's two agencies that are providing a lot of that in addition to CCR. um, Youth Opportunities Unlimited works with our younger candidates who are making their way through, and they receive through their case managers and supports, wraparound supports to help them to stay focused enough to obtain the training and stay employed. At the Literacy Council, we work with the adult learners to make sure that the seven areas that are likely to be challenges that need to be addressed in order for you to focus on that learning are addressed, whether it's housing, employment, education, financial, um, childcare, transportation, all of these things need to be addressed as well. So you pull all that together and say, what do you want to do with your future? It's not just, I want to get a job. It's, well, maybe you can be the person who's the future employer and we have all that conversation embedded in that support from the start. Um, The other other thing that's unique about this pathway is when you're selected as part of it, an employer is already saying you don't have to worry about the cost of that CDA, the cost of that apprenticeship, and if you don't have your GED yet, you can incorporate that in your learning path, and it starts from the time you're hired as opposed to figure out how to get your CDA by yourself while also having another job that's not enough. hopefully maybe you might get hired by an employer who's willing to pay you enough to be able to support your family. So the entrepreneurship is one of many pathways, but it starts with how much of support are you willing to help someone to be able to stay focused and feel supported enough to persist through all of what is required to obtain those certifications and be present enough so an employer can say, yes, you can do the job for me.
1: I think that is one of the things we found with our staff is that's gone through the career pathway is it's it's given breathing room, like breathing room to, to, to dream, to kind of think about, oh, I, I can think about my future. You know, I if I fall, there's some safety nets here. There's people that will listen to me inside the organization, outside of the organization, and we're all working together. I think it's just been creating space for people. and when you create space for people, they can start to develop their narrative about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's so much more powerful than if the YWCA is gonna say, this is what you're gonna do, this is what it looks like, or any other organization. And I think that's the magic um, in all of this, is it's, it's been empowering. It's been empowering to be like, okay, I can tell them, I don't want to do early child in the long run. In the long run, I want to do X, Y, Z. But this is my path right now, and this is what makes sense for me, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: When
2: you, And you're talking about um, you going back to being um, an entrepreneur. One of the things that CCR is looking at and needs to is working with licensing and knowing how much it costs to become that mm-hmm. child care provider yep. and looking at ways to reduce that mm-hmm. so that they can become – um their own yeah, entrepreneur, their own business person. Right. Because, you know, just getting a license and just becoming that, that takes about twelve hundred dollars mm-hmm. just to get to that point. Now yep. we're not talking about all the stuff you gotta put into your place and and to yeah. build it. But what does it take to just even become your own childcare provider, your own business, your own, you know, boss? You know, what does it take to become that? And that's one of the things that I think, um, we, I know we're looking at, I know the the whole organization um, pathway is looking at, is what does it take? You know, what do you need, mm-hmm. you know, to become that? How do you become that? What does it look like? Right. You know, to have your own, yeah. you know. Um, some people say, I want my own, and when they get in there, they're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the work. Oh, no. It's not it's less the, work. Yeah, yeah. But there are some that um, will be ready because of going through the pathway
0: right right and the theme throughout hearing each one of you speak is that that support piece like really like this is like this whole this whole projects it sounds like just a, a, a amplified support play like support on steroids yeah. right no matter no matter what it is you know folks get empowered to to go that to go the route that they they feel they want to go and they had a the support to do it. And again it comes back to the beginning and the the ethos of this whole conversation is that collaboration. Even the support piece, it takes many many folks to collaborate in order for you know somebody to to realize that that pathway and achieve um the dreams that they they set forth for themselves. And so Again, we hear full circles like we still need collaboration Mm -hmm. um, to even provide the multitude of supports needed for families to to thrive. And on that note, we'll be interested to hear what are the primary elements that are needed for effective collaboration that you all have so far identified. (laughs)
3: There's
2: so many things. We can can
3: limit it to
0: about three or five. Right.
3: (laughs) I I would say you really have to have common agreement early. Uh, I mean, if you're not all agreeing to do the same thing and you're working for an agenda that's opposite of what the primary objective is, you're going to be working against yourself before you even start. So we really came to common agreement that we wanted this career pathway to work. You find out who the essential partners are, and you make sure that you understand what they need to be fully engaged in the process. So agreement first, but then structure for how to make that agreement real. In our case, we have a memorandum of understanding that states, here's what I need in order to support this common effort, in order to be able to do the work that is gonna be most beneficial. And once we have that understanding, we know how to support one another, but we also are aiming all of our collective capabilities toward one common goal of getting this career pathway forward. Uh, The other piece that I would say is, at least for us, you have to be transparent and have a lot of trust. I I was going to say. (laughs) say, you got to do that.
2: Communication, open communication, you know, being able to, like you said, transparent, be able to say what you need to say, understand that we're all talking, we're all going after the same thing. We just may need to figure out how we get there on that path.
1: Yeah, and I, I even digging just deeper into that. Like we're not showing up for a check that's coming to our organization through a grant. You know, we're we're here, we started this without any funding. And we're gonna stay through it with whatever happens. You know, we've been fortunate to receive acknowledgement and get funding to support this, but we would be doing it either way. And I think that's commit that commitment is rooted beyond the dollars and that's how we, we keep showing up every Friday or however many times a week we're meeting the, you know at this point like we we keep showing up for it because it's not tied to something outside of just getting the work done
0: right right it's tied to something bigger mm-hmm. um, interested to know in terms of the trust when that was lifted up everybody nodded and you know I've heard that phrase you know we you know folks move at the speed of trust it comes to collaboratives, is there a, a certain point where you, you've you reached that that level of trust? Are you like, okay, we're cool now? Or is it like an ongoing thing? I know in some situations, the folks come together and it's like, okay, it may be, it doesn't sound like this with you all, but it may be one organization is looking at another organization kind of sideways, like, eh, I don't really trust them. I represent city government, so I already know just coming in, it's like 75% of the folks probably going to distrust my organization. So I'm, a lot of times I'm working to just establish rapport with folks, but just interested to know if you have any jewels to share with us in terms of like, okay, how how to go about that, that trust component, being that it's so essential.
3: One, is ongoing. I mean, okay. there's no such yeah. thing as, 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 I mean, there may be love on first sight, but there's not trust on first sight. At yeah. least not yeah. in this situation. Okay. So, you Thanks know, it for is, keeping it real, too, it by the way. It is ongoing. Yeah, I, and, I was going to say that. And you have to protect the culture of how this started. You know, for us, we had positive conversations leaning toward an awesome outcome that we all agreed on. And we work Purposely to protect that culture. What do we need in order to keep us invigorated and excited about the potential of us working together? And if that's not there, then we have to go back and make sure that it is uh, we we have our, our weekly meetings yeah, They're planning meetings for sure, but we we have a, a different name for them. There are Friday awesome meetings Yes, because
0: I have attended I can attest <laughs> we get are, to come indeed.
3: together and, and, and work in a functional way to be able to achieve this but you have to make sure you understand your partner's needs, that they have a space to be heard, and you can really listen to what is required to have their full engagement. So there's no one agency that voices this. We have many different partners who are, who are part of this conversation, and we wanna give equal voice to them and give them the opportunity to be able to say, here's what we need to fully participate. We can't tell them, this is what you need to do to participate. They need to work with us to say, well, here's what we need to fully participate in this collective enterprise.
1: Well said michael i think the other thing is you know it is definitely it always goes back to relationships but i think about how we all came to i mean april and i have been in the field in the same community for a while so we both know of each other and have worked with each other michael and i i hadn't really worked with michael at all but i worked with tom richardson and i know tom richardson really well and. Tom works with Michael and he's Mm -hmm. been saying for years, like you two need to get together and work because you are thinking on the same, same wavelength. And so we, I had, we, we both had that, right? We both Mm -hmm. had our relationship with Tom. And so, you know, it matters who you're you might not have a collaborative work with somebody right now but you should work on your relationship with them right now because it could lead to that collaborative effort down the road that could be life-changing for so many people Mm -hmm. so i think that's part of that commitment too is even partners that i might not personally be working with a lot right now it's important to use this as a leverage point for what might come in the future
0: yeah and that's a it's a lot of powerful stuff in that um Especially with the relationships, and not just cultivating, but like a gardener, like continuing to to, to prune and and yeah. and curate, because like you said, you know, you never know what the what the future may bring in terms of opportunities, and who knows how you may connect with with somebody else in the community to be able to support a family. So we're that also was interesting.
2: we're also like I said we're. We have our, there's three organizations, so we are very always protective of our organizations mm-hmm. and what we bring to the table. So that's where that trust um, has to come into, is letting go, some, letting go of some of our protectiveness, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, yeah. and what we bring to the table um, so that we can trust each other.
0: Right. And it sounds like it's that in addition to knowing the value that, that your respective organizations do bring. Knowing why the table. we're there, yeah. uh, What
2: we what we're really there for. Knowing that we're there for the children, we're there for the families, yes. um, we're there for the employees. Um, once we, long as we keep those things um, at the top of our list, mm-hmm. you know, that's what builds the rest of that trust and and that um, communication open. But then
3: it also leads to the benefits of true collaboration as well. I mean, we didn't start with any financial incentive. We started with common cause and and a commitment to making this happen. But through collaboration, you align in such a way that your work can be seen as quality Mm -hmm. and is seen as practical as something that can, that if you invest in it, you can see the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So that's how our proposal for the Early Childhood Investment Corporation grant that we received. It's a $300,000 grant Mm -hmm. separated out of many different proposals across the state. It was because of the unique nature of our collaboration and the results that our collaboration has already proven so far. Mm -hmm. So collaboration does pay off, Mm -hmm. but it is a work in and of itself that is not grant grant dependent. It's a culture that you need to protect and cultivate early on or else it's just going to be conditional right. Ours is conditioned on achieving the mission, not conditioned on what have you done for me lately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So I heard establishing a shared understanding in terms of some of the uh, foundational elements, establishing a shared understanding, of building trust, developing relationships and communication. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, those are some, some good notes to take It's it's crazy it never ceases to amaze me that those things are not revolutionary mind-blowing so simple in in theory but yet in practice so overlooked discounted and just sometimes just flat-out omitted in terms of achieving goals together mm-hmm. and I'm also thinking about my marriage I've been married 15 <laughs> years and just listening. If if you took away like collaboration organizations, I'd be like, man, what are we talking about here? Marriage? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <gonna> exactly. <laughs> oh no, I, gotta, I got 40 years, so I you don't understand. Yeah. You know, it's dealing like, with that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking of some of these community change efforts and how like we we get together, you may date as an organization, then it's the honeymoon. And it's yeah. like it's great. Then the honeymoon is over. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, yo. We still gotta we still gotta help these families, remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody else is like, What? <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's, that's mm-hmm. what we signed up to do, remember that? We should we should be in love with this idea and, mm-hmm. and making it happen.
2: Sometimes you gotta go back to the reason why you first met. Yeah. yeah. What, what what drew you together? Yeah, you yeah. know. And it's just like it's like in a marriage. You know, when people get to the point where they're ready to break up. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what what was the reason why we even us to yeah. that point and that is in, within our organizations and with all when you collaborate you got to go back sometimes. what was the true reason why we even came together
1: and know that there's going to be hard times there's right. going to be emotional thing. times there's going to be times where you don't want nothing to do with one another but you take care of yourself how you need to take care of yourself and get back to it
3: and you have to be able to find new things to think about too you know, there's the original purpose, but where are we going next? Yeah. And if you have where are we going next instead of where am I going next, your next adventure is just as fulfilling as this one. And it gets stronger and stronger over time as opposed to, well, we only talk about this because this is what this is the the only thing that it's about. Right. And mm-hmm. it's this project that we're working on is it if you thought it was about a one type of a career to one type of employer, that'd be a mistake. This was how can we come together to be able to make long-term systemic change through a project like this? So what what comes next? I mean, we, we have the trust that we can start pointing in directions to really look at what we really can do together to make lasting change at a neighborhood level, not just at an organizational level, certainly not just within one building, but
0: what can we do for a community together? Yes, awesome awesome so you're welcome to all the listeners of this episode yes you learned about organizational collaboration and you got some marriage tips for those (laughs) either currently married or looking to get married believe me take notes on all of this it will serve you well in both professional and personal life so again you're welcome um so we, we typically, we, we love to end the show in terms of some, some lighter stuff. I know for, for most of our guests, we get into some heavy stuff, um, complexity of systems where well, we always like to end on a lighter note, uh, not take all that heaviness out there into the world. So we got some questions and we'll let go Nicole, April, Michael, answer them. Uh, first, do you all have for dinner? last night
1: uh i made a homemade butternut squash soup from scratch from the <laughs> squashes that i got from the farm stand down the road
0: okay well i mean i i didn't give any rules so i guess it's no of is is nothing against bragging <laughs> <Just gotta> brag <laughs> this is a, like.
1: this is a new thing for me this is this is very very new okay cooking And I just am loving it. Really? Yeah.
0: You you start from zero to homemade butternut squash.
1: In a couple of weeks, yeah. Okay. Well, I live in a very rural area, and so (sighs) you know, I you you got what you got. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, I we had leftover
2: spaghetti, you know, um, and a salad because we babysit grandchildren last night, and that's what they like. So there you go. Some garlic bread. So very simple, simple and
0: easy.
3: Leftover ribs. And I was trying to put a vegetable with it because I wanted it to be good, but it just didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen at all.
0: <laughs> all right. Pie or cake.
1: Mm, I like food a lot, but I'm gonna have to go with pie. Like a raspberry rhubarb pie or something yes. like that.
0: Any pie. I'm a pie. Any, yeah.
2: Any um, pie. I'm a cake. I okay. love pie, but I love cakes. Yeah,
0: I just cake.
3: I love a pie, but I love a specific type. You know, my grandmother, she had a recipe for apple and we have peach and we do cobblers. My uncle, he has that recipe now. He hasn't passed it on to me, but yeah. Pie done Evans style.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pie out of Evans. Got yes. it. Uh, what's on your nightstand?
1: Ooh. Um, a journal. Uh, gems. Markers, and at least two to three books. Okay.
2: (laughs) Lotion and medication and, you know, um, the clock and those type of things. Yeah.
3: Headphones for podcasts. Because I always want to try to be able to get some extra perspectives. And they're usually more entertaining than they are educational. But as far as books, there's a book that I keep going back to. It's The Art of War for Managers.
0: Okay. Yeah. And uh, Michael with, with great instincts. Just an interesting side note. Michael is a is a Darth Vader fan. <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, for, for those out there that, that may hear this and be like, oh, man, I love Star Wars, too. Stop it. No, he's a Darth Vader fan. It's different than Star Wars. That's right. FYI. And like um, Darth Vader, he displays some good skills of the Force there um, by naming the book. Excellent segue, because the next question is, what are you currently reading? So the Force is strong with Michael. What are you <laughs> currently reading, Nicole?
1: Um, I've just got through um, Kindred by Octavia Butler. Oh, and I, I remember re- my wife read that. Yep. Yeah. I've I've read a couple of her books and um I'm also a full-time student, so I'm reading a lot of textbooks right now.
0: Ah, got you. Yep. About what? What are you studying?
1: Um finishing my early childhood degree.
0: There you go. Yep. All right.
2: I have not been I've been listening to books.
0: It's the same. We we so, count it all the same. Um, I'm an Audible fan too.
2: Audible. And so it's just li- I I just go on there and Take, I, I go from mystery to romance to um, just just books. So I don't have really one. I just kind of right now I'm, I'm kind of searching, trying to find me a good one to
0: read. There you go. And we, all, we already know what Michael is reading. Mm-hmm. I didn't answer that.
3: but uh, of course one right? of them I meant the other audiobook is I'm reading or listening to Doom. Because the movie's out. Ooh. Oh, it is. So the I, new one. Yeah. So I That's wanted to catch one. up on that. You know, oh, okay. So you can intermix that in with that whole art of war for managers thing. Yeah. And a lot of grant language. You got to read about that. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Is that recreational? It is if you see the fun of what happens when you submit a successful one.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: There you go.
0: What do you do for self-care to show up in the work?
1: I got to do a whole lot. Okay. I got to do a whole lot. Um, I like to be out in nature, so I try to be out a lot. Um, I like to spend time by myself and just reflect and write and draw. Um, I have a dog that Mm -hmm. helps a lot. Um, And I think just pacing myself in general. I try not to go too hard because then I just run out of steam and can't show up. So Okay. Yeah.
2: I'm a can be um, a very religious person so I listen to a lot of gospel mm-hmm. um that and I like to get songs that can help me understand the direction that I need to go um and so I I, I like to that's what I do a lot of to help me get through you know it's listening walking hearing that gospel getting that into my head what mm-hmm. God can do for me what he can lift me up you know and um so it gives me that that energy to keep going
0: mhm
3: so, I will forego launch and take a wellness walk in a heartbeat. The wellness walk for me is a big deal. I would uh, that helps to break the day. Um, I do a lot of exercise in the morning, starts at like five thirty. But <laughs> that wellness walk is way better than um, running or biking in the morning. Yeah, daily wellness walk. That's a big, big difference.
0: How long is that? What's the time? On that? You know, it's 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 not the time. It's the
3: journey. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I kind of I think it's about a mile. Uh, maybe a little bit more and I can get out of my office and walk around this block in the neighborhood. There's the river that's nearby. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of nature there. And I usually go leave with three questions and come back with three answers.
0: There you go. All right. Mm. Like a like, like a, a
3: thinking walk. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That's I, exactly I, what it
0: is. It is an excellent book. I forget the author's name, mm-hmm. but the book is called The Wealthy Gardener. And it's it's a the main character talks about that thinking walks or thought walks um, and just for that purpose leave with a question, come back with an answer. Yep, written yeah. many grants that way. And uh, Tim Bartek, it was on a previous episode talked about that as well, walking and, and, and just thinking about things. So yeah, yeah, great minds think alike. Last one, a six word vision for our community. Our model, mine is always A community without poverty and racism.
1: You just said it. You just said it, didn't you? What? Um, Oh gosh. Um, Lowered stressors for improved life success?
0: At six,
3: everyone empowered to reach their potential.
2: Wow, you guys you are go. good. I'm going to let it go. Okay. I just said it. You guys have just said it. It's, it's improving life through God's words. <laughs> yeah, we'll, count Two more. we'll count it. We'll count it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll count it. There we go. I was trying to get that last word there. Yeah, she's, she's spiritual. There
0: you go. She scored. <laughs> okay, um, I know the collaborative doesn't have a website yet, but in terms of how listeners may be able to plug into your work, how can they go about that?
2: Well, they could probably get to go through either, either one of our organizations. Yeah, they
1: can can reach out to either one of us or, um, you know, reaching out to the Literacy Council directly. We can send over uh, the Friday Awesome meetings and all of our planning groups. Those are open to anybody who wants to be a part of it. Yep. Um, So that would be a great way to get connected and to to be involved and learn more about what's going on.
0: Okay, and I will definitely post um, y'all's websites in the show notes. So listeners can access that. Um, anything else you all want to say? Thank you for, for having girl? us. Thank you us all. the
2: opportunity to share what's going on in the Edison community as well as Callum County.
0: Thank you all. And I may be reaching out to all of you again just individually um, to speak more about some different things. But I thank you all for your time, your knowledge, um, the work you're doing, in the community work you're doing together as you said it's not easy um and it's not a matter of, of if but when like problems occur yeah. but just recognizing that up front and say you know screw it we gotta we got something to accomplish we'll do it together i just appreciate that so again thank you all for for joining us today and if there's nothing else we'll catch you all next time on the shared prosperity calendar podcast thank you for listening take care